BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, only provocative conversations at the intersection of business, politics, and culture. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week's episode, The Derek Chauvin Verdict. In our deep dive today, a guilty verdict has been handed down in the Derek Chauvin case. Does this usher in an era of police accountability and domestic unity, or will more division and discord ensue? And in our Courage or Cringe segment, Facebook limits posts, Demi Lovato hates on Froyo, and Stephen A. Smith pontificates on Jake Paul. Is Facebook's advance notice of its intent to limit posts that incite violence thoughtful proactiveness or another step in the line of increasing censorship moves? Are sugar-free products part of a diet industry conspiracy or should consumer choice reign supreme? And finally, is Stephen A. Smith's recent Jake Paul tweet revealing a truth about boxing's unhealthy exhibitionism, or is he further hyping a lopsided victory in a bad boxing match? This and more, more, more this week on TDR. Hey, Seuss, we've got uh, social platforms, sugar-free products, and boxing. This could only be TDR. Sounds like a TDR episode, right? Kind of a different show for us today, though. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I guess in full disclosure, we were we were just about to start recording uh, the episode um, right when the, the news sort of came out that the verdict was already in and it was going to be uh, announced, right? So we were kind of, we put, put this on hold and we decided to just hold off to hear what the verdict would be. And then get a chance to react to that. So right. I, even our even our deep dive, it will be a little bit different because, frankly, some of this, much of this is still coming unfolding. Frankly, that um, it really is sort of the raw reaction to the moment. Um, and of course, we could talk about it in the context of everything that has happened with it and, and some of the history that is there. Or why this this feels so unique and so a um, game changing to some extent. I yeah. would say. I think well, uh, the trial. So, yeah, the trial itself. And I mean, all, it was it, it kind of captured the imagination of the world in a way too, or the whole case has, right? I mean, it's yeah. been a, um, it's sort of set, uh, you know, fire in a variety of different ways, and maybe that's a bad analogy, but what I mean is that it's in, it's inspired a lot of movements and it's inspired a lot of conversation, not just in the U.S. but globally. And so, in a similar way, the trial that deals with the outcome of this is going to have the same amount of. Um, of interest all over the world. Yeah, and my notes earlier, I, I had literally framed this as, you know, like everything else about this murder and this case, it had always been more than just about the individuals. 
uh, the individual act and individuals involved, right? There was so much, so much more weight to this, which is, um, yeah, a big part of what the case was. But I mean, let's, let's start with, with what happened, right? So obviously it was announced earlier today that former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin has been convicted on all charges in the death of George Floyd, right? Now, he was convicted specifically on three charges, uh, second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter, right? Of which the 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 most, um, the heaviest of the, of the three charges is the first one, second-degree murder, which has a sentence up to up to 40 years, a maximum sentence for that. And second-degree murder for the uninitiated, that's just basically, that's obviously an illegal killing, but without the premeditation? Is that yeah, about Yeah, basically, that's a, good, that's a good way to think about it, right? It's killing someone in the course of committing another felony, Um so, and that's basically where, you know, the argument was that the, that, Sh- that Chauvin was assaulting Mr. Floyd and in that process of assaulting him, he killed him. But it was, but it takes away to your point, the initial intent that it was, that he had the intent. Like to he didn't wake again. up that morning to want to go down Right, right. That's where yeah. first degree murder comes, which, I mean, uh, if you remember when this first all came out, people were asking for that to begin with, but it, that, I don't think that was ever even on, on the table because it just didn't qualify within that. Uh, within that scenario. But mm-hmm. look, it's, it is very um, historic from that standpoint, right? Um, and, and in terms of the conviction, it was, so, it was so interesting. And looking at some of the data in preparation for us talking about, you know, the history of police brutality and sort of the the cases that have come come, come, come about from that and, and to, to the degree that people actually get convicted, uh, there was a report by Washington Post that said that there was about a thousand fatal police shootings that are reported each year in the U.S., Right. So, so somebody died in a police Correct. encounter. In a police encounter, right? Now, this includes everything, right? Which, you know, you have to assume that the majority of those are justified shootings, right? The, you know, police officers defending themselves. And now since 2005, 139 police officers have been arrested for murder or manslaughter due to, an on, to a non-duty shooting. So if you think about it relative to 1,000 sh- police shootings per year, it's about less than 1% all those 1,000 shootings that happen every year over the last 15 years that have resulted in a police officer being less arrested than, for, for manslaughter. Less now, than 10%. 1%. No, less than 1%. 139 right? of 1,000? 1,000 times 15, right? So it's 15,000. It's 15, 15 years. It's 15 years, it, right? 15 so years. 2005, okay. right? All the way till now. Got it. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 about less than 1%. Now, what should be the case, right? And, and we don't, I don't have the level of detail. It should be because the majority of those, and look, I still think in spite of everything that has happened, I will have to assume the majority of those are justified shootings. But there is a, you know quite a history of people that have been you know, that never get arrested and never get charges pressed against them, right, that are involved in questionable shootings. But of that 139 police officers that were arrested for manslaughter, right, only 44 have been convicted. There's still another 42 cases that are still pending. This is over 15 years? Over 15 years, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, since 2005, so I guess over 16 years now, but I'm assuming it stops at 2000, Mm -hmm. the data, right? Uh, Now, of those 44, I'm sorry, convicted, only seven have been convicted of murder, Right in a police shooting since since 2005, and now the remaining 37 that were convicted uh, were convicted on charges ranging from manslaughter to official uh, misconduct. Right, so it's quite a range. I mean, the the reality is it's so rare for for a police officer to even have charges brought against them, let alone be convicted. Which I think part of why I think for many of us we're kind of sitting on the edge of our, our seats, figuring out what's going to happen. There was so much weight on this case to begin with, and. Do you think? Do you it's, think something's? Yeah. You, you think there's still a chance of violence in Minneapolis and other places, even with a guilty verdict? 
I, I hope not. I mean, it's it's look the, rea- the the other thing too to think about is that this is not an isolated case. Mm-hmm. Just just along the time that this case has been going on, there's been like other like really high profile crimes that have or, or murders that have been committed, right? Or or questionable shootings if we want to call them murder murders yet, right? Um, you, you know, Derek Chauvin. I'm sorry, not Derek Chauvin. Uh, there was uh, which one is the one? I'm blanking right now. On, on some of the other folks that were that were recently These killed. are since George Floyd you're saying. Since, after yeah, Dante Wright is, Don, is yeah. the other one I was thinking, I'm sorry. So he's the he's the young man that was killed by a police officer when, you know, she claimed to have mistaken uh grabbing her gun instead of using a, a taser, taser. Right. Now what makes that one questionable is that you have this police officer who I think had like something like it's like 18, 19 years of experience. Herself was an actual train like tra- training officer uh, that would train other, other other folks, and still after that much time, still have like have that confusion. You know, if you want to call it that, that at the spur of the moment. You know, there's that. There's other things that are that have happened. Uh, the other big one is Chicago, right? With this 13 year old kid was was killed, Adam Toledo, right? Um, who was killed while running away from police and. You know, and I think they thought that he had a gun, but you know, at least according to the police video that that has been shared, you know, was shot after as he was turning, and he had both hands up, right, showing that he had no no guns in his in his hand. Now, I, I by the way, in that case, I don't know whether he has something prior to that, and he right. dropped it. But the the, the the reason to bring this all this up is that this is not in any way an isolated case, and there is like literally as this case is unfolding, <clears> these <throat> high profile situations that have continued to occur. So I don't know if it means. You know, to your point, you how you phrased the question to begin with. Is it completely turned the page? We're now on a very good path of accountability. I would say probably not, not yet, but at least it's a, I mean, it feels like a good step in the right direction. Don't you think that they're ju- like being a police officer is, it's like a really, really tough job. It's a super you know hard I mean? job. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's, it, I, I've been so, first of all, number one, I want to just claim that I'm not an expert in like tr- courtroom drama and trial watching like i don't think i've actually watched like a public you know interest trial right since maybe oj simpson i'm not kidding you it's like it's yeah. just not something that really interests me it doesn't grab me in that way and i and and i mean i guess i want to be informed about things on a general level but i don't know all the ins and outs and i, I just it's not something that i that i kind of get at but um i think um you know in this case that i'm 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 thinking about a variety of things when i think about this verdict right i think about you know, the sort of immediate situation of what's going on with all those people that are there who were awaiting this verdict. A lot of them are, you know, were there, you know, in the streets ready to to, sure. to protest, to do, you know, God forbid other things, but just they were ready. They were like there, you know, on, in attention. What happens to that immediate situation now? What happens to the Floyd family? Do they feel some sense of relief, satisfaction, justice, whatever? Um, like, you know, so that's another thing. What happens now with, you know, police officers? Do they feel that this is a good thing because it helps to sort of mend fences? Yeah. Do they feel more apprehensive because they're sort of more, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, th- so there's so many variables here that I think about. But one of them that I keep coming back to is the fact that, like, being, you know, it is a difficult job and it, it and it is something where I don't think that the right amount of, and I hate to put it in the cat- general category of training, but I guess it is that in the, in the sense of There's something really, about that for yeah, sure. of really understanding the kind of complex human situations that you're put that you're put in, and how to deal with them. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. got to be more there. I read one stat about 
that uh, police officers get about 110 hours uh, firearm and self-defense training, but only de-escalation for about eight hours during a tra- during like their traditional window of training in the initial phase. Now, that's not necessarily representative of every, every police department in the country, but it's just as an example. It was like, wow, they're they're but that's a cr- that's a crazy that's a crazy stat to think about it that way, stat. right? Where yeah. if you're doing your job right, your orientation should be this you know de-escalation every single time. And even realistically, being put in a position to having to take, you know, uh, to take uh, uh, force in that manner, right? To have to like, you know, pull, pull your your weapon out, should be a, a minority of the time that you already are out there patrolling, right? So to to think about it that way is the majority of training you're, that you're receiving is really meant for that one moment, and we see the shortcomings of that, obviously, but that you're not being well trained for all the other ninety nine point nine percent of the moments that you should be better trained at. At this claim, that's a problem. And they seem in- increasingly complex situations that folks find themselves in. You know what I mean? Like the the dynamics seem to be like just ratcheted up, right? Because now you got cameras, you got all kinds sure. of dynamics that maybe didn't exist before, right? And so I, you know, I, I think about all that in in the context of uh, of of this decision or this verdict. Uh, yeah, I think there is a lot a lot here. I mean, I was I, I saw an interview, um, not an interview. There was I was watching one of the videos just in, re- in reaction to where uh, President Joe Biden called the family of George Floyd mm-hmm. there with his lawyer to just kind of, I guess you could say congratulations, but it was more like you know basically you know thinking that justice was being done, and he kept he kept on referencing George Floyd's daughter, who I guess at some point I, I do recall I think hearing this where she said that. Her dad was gonna change the world, even if it was, you know, post dying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he kept on referencing that, and maybe this is like that change that that was in a really messed up way, kind of was needed. I'm, I'm obviously adding a lot more to what he was actually saying, but it was, it was the spirit of of what his call actually was. So I do think that for the family itself, there is some level of justice that is being, it feels like it's being served, because at least to the degree that it sounds like here, what he could be tried for, he was tried for, and he was you know, uh, um, convicted for, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that by itself sort of does a lot. I think if you're in police, going back to the different questions you raised, if you're a police officer, obviously I can't speak to what they're thinking, but I have to imagine that to some, this has to feel like welcome news. It's like you need some of this. And I think, and the reason why I say that is because part of the issue that I think many people have with with how these trials have been done and, and the mistrust that people have with police is that they feel that no matter what a police officer will do, they're always going to protect their own first and foremost, right? Police unions in this context have a very negative connotation in terms of because their priority is protect the officers within the union, whether or not that's at the at the expense of of the community, sure. right? I believe that, and so, I believe the thin blue line. I'm not a fan of unions, as you know, anyway. Yeah, so, but so in this so case, I, I think definitely see this, that. Not just conviction, but then because why he got convicted? Because one of the obviously the so, keys, the key points <clears> here was the fact that. The captain of 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 uh, of, of uh, you know the police force, his, that boss, part of, his boss, basically came out and said, "Yeah, he thought that you know he did not follow protocol, the guideline for what the head that the, the, the force he used was was unreasonable." So he he laid the blame on on Derek Chauvin, right, um, for what he had done, and I think that you would never ever see, like yeah. you, you didn't see that in the Ronnie Keene trial. You didn't see. I'm, I mean, I don't can never recall ever seeing that. Um, and I think that's a really big turning point. And I think you almost need some of that to rebuild back credibility that you are willing to, in the cases where are like this, where a line has been actually crossed, where you don't have some of the things that make it questionable. You know, we've talked about this before, whether or not, you know, spit of the moment, 
kind of decision that makes it really hard to say like, well, it was a judgment call. It could have gone either way. Like here, there wasn't that. And I think having that come out, I think does speak loudly. No, and in my mind, <clears throat> could, could actually help start to heal some of the some of those wounds and, and mistrust that there is between the public and, and police. I think the de-escalation thing is important, both objectively in terms of how to get a situation to de-escalate, but also interiorly, how to get yourself to de-escalate. Because I can tell you, look, there's like whole, you can, there's a category of every video on YouTube, everyone, mm-hmm. but there is categories of like people just going off on cops. Sure. And the cops just being like stony face, like nothing's happening. They're getting spat at, they're getting yelled at, they're getting like, and they just sit there and take it, take it, take it, take it. And you know what I'm saying? Like there's reams of these kind of videos. Sure. And so inside, that's got to do a number on you, right? That's got to do a number. When you sit on a guy for nine minutes or whatever, because you, you know, you've been fighting them, you've been yelling, you've been doing all this stuff. There's a little bit of just your inability to 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 de-escalate yourself yeah. that is being brought out at that moment on this person. You know what I mean? Because you feel maybe you're justified, because you feel you've been a little, a triggered. Little, a little sometimes, it's payback. You know? Like yeah. there's all those emotions. So we always think about de-escalation as like, oh, I'm gonna calm the situation. But man, a lot of that's gotta be inside. To me, a lot right. of it's got to be inside. And, and this is a part where, you know, when we all talk, when we talk about our own echo chambers, you know, we all get to see like our own views of this, mm-hmm. right? Like you're right. And I, and I 100% believe that. Frankly, I rarely see those kind of videos. And in part because of my own social content consumption patterns that those don't, will get served to me as much. I, t- I tend to see the other ones, of course, which is the one where you have a police officer that very quickly is losing it. And this person... Average person needs, needs to find a way to like keep everything really, really calm. And both of those scenarios are, are terrible. I think the the going back to your point about how hard it is to be a police officer, I mean the, the challenge that you have here is I agree with you, it's really, really hard. But I also think that when you are being bestowed the ability to end life, then that job should be hard. You know, like that job should be like I don't the think level of training. Have that response, that the ability. level of training, but 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 they are in essence, right? I mean, they, well, they are. They're being they given have, the 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 rights to be able to use lethal that, force, yeah. to for to to right to to get to an outcome, right? And you're hoping that they're making the right judgments, that they're following the right law. But at the end of the day, there is a piece where they're making a judgment call one yeah. way or the other I'm not and are qui- being given the means to basically be able to do it. I'm, I'm, this is You may see this as quibbling, but technically we all have that right. That's the right of self-defense. They don't have a right to go out and shoot people, right? I mean, now in practice, what your numbers are showing is that they, there seems to be, if we're just being commonsensical about the situation, there seems to be some kind of like interference that gets run or some like thin blue line, whatever the, the thing yeah. is, that keeps more of these cases that perhaps should be found negligent or criminal to go to see the light of day. Yeah. I see that. I understand that. But technically a cop's job is not, we're giving you the right to go kill people. Like, yeah, you can kill somebody in the defense of your own life or somebody else's, but that, and you can disagree with that, but that technically is a right that applies to all, all people. It's just that yeah, not everybody I has access you. to a gun. Not everybody has but whatever. Just, yeah. I, I think in theory, you're correct on that. Um, and I understand where you're coming from in terms of uh, the right to defend yourself. But I think in practice is when you are being handed a gun as part of your tools for your job, mm-hmm. then in essence, you are giving, maybe not say the right to kill people, but that is one of the options that is now on the table for you. So you think to be like security guard job. is in the same category then? 
Um, yeah, because they could be security guard with or without a gun. Well, let's say they, let's right? say they have like, a gun. Like, yeah, yeah, there is some some level of that where like now as part of your tools for your job, you have the ability to use lethal force. Now, you can say necessarily kill someone. You could shoot someone, whatever, in the leg or... But lethal force is now one of the tools that you have at your disposal for doing your job, mm-hmm. right? Which I think for the average person is not, they're not in, the, in that category. Um, but go, going back to what we, what we were talking about in terms of there is this discrepancy in, in, in how little, how few times this actually comes up that people actually get uh, not just convicted, but even charged, right? I mean, one of the, we were, frankly, part of what we were doing that was going to be the deep dive is we were looking at this New York Times piece. I looked at the history of police violence. Um, and specifically the, you know, the discrepancy that there was in, 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 in people being, in police officers being actually charged uh, or convicted. And they talked about a bunch of different things, right? Like, first of all, the charges are just really rare uh, for them to even be filed, right? And they use a number of examples from Eric Gardner, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Stephen Clark, all the folks that there was some form, I think most of you said there was some form of video evidence associated with it. All of which, in many of those four cases or five cases, was officer ever charged, right? Uh, Eric Gardner, if you may recall, he got choked out and died, yep. right? Because he yep. was selling cigarettes illegally outside of a store, wasn't armed, right? Michael Brown, who was on, who was, um, uh, he was shot um, and was accused of stealing a box of cigarettes, right? Also unarmed. Um, I mean, there was a bunch of, uh, Tamir Rice, 12 years old, right? Who was shot uh, because he was playing with a toy gun, right? Like in all of these cases were, even if I think about, I mean, the thing that I that I kind of go back to, like in some of these cases, I'm not saying the intent was to kill these folks, but in the context of, you know, manslaughter, right? Where, sure. like, why wouldn't you even, you couldn't even get charged for that? I mean, I could see you not yeah. get convicted, but like, like the person that's is, the part where like, the okay, person is dead. Like, let's start right, with like, that. Let's, right. Like right. the person died. And, yeah. and, and that's what happened. we have, first degree, second degree, and right. all that stuff. And in the context yeah. of you doing your job, and understand that it's hard, we were like, is there some, like, something happened here that this person should that not needs, have been the dead? Correct. Have been the, that correct. We should have at least look at it. I, and I See agree, like, of that's, course. And that's actually why we have those things. Yeah. And that makes sense. By the way, not a lot of people approach the argument that way, which I think is what gets people at loggerheads. It's more like, I can't believe nothing was done. And then the other, somebody else on the other side going, the cop didn't show up there on accident. He was called. The sure. guy was resisting arrest. He was belligerent, yelling, spitting, kicking, whatever. He's got a list of priors a mile long. Like, you know, that's the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the idea is, look, given all that, let's take that all for granted. There's a dead person here, literally right. lying on the ground dead. There has to be something to address that reality. Right. And it can't just be, well, it's never been manslaughter. It's never been all these other things. And, and I think the other thing to to the point you were bringing up and how those two sort of, you know, caricatures of the argument, right? It's like, also the other thing too is there's a dead person here and we should like be much more, I think this has been as a society to say like, that's not normal. That's right. Like, it's not. Even if the person- 100%. <laughs> was in the act of committing a crime, even if they had done something, look, it's different. Like if the person is like a literally a shootout and I get it, right? But like that should not be a reasonable outcome for someone yeah. committing a crime and or having lived a life of crime, right? And if it feels like we kind of like self-justify, you know what actually reminds me of in a really silly example? Is you remember watching like the old school uh, 
horror films from like the 80s and 90s. Sure. Like, like Friday 13. Friday 13 and all that. And like, it was Freddy always, like if you wanted to figure out who was going to get murdered from the teenagers, always the one that had sex. Like literally they had sex, and they, they were and, sex. and they got murdered. And like, yeah. Because we could all feel a little bit better because maybe they shouldn't have been doing that or they were doing or they were drinking. See what I'm saying? It was like right. it was always that. And I think there is a, literally a sense of that that people have, whether or not they want to admit it, you know? But what role does the idea of you know not being confrontational, belligerent, et cetera? I'm not saying that's what happened in this case. I'm talking just in general. Yeah. Right. What role does that play in any of this in terms of that escalation? In other words, to your point is, mm-hmm. you have a gun, you've been given this job, you have a higher responsibility, and I agree with you, a higher, like, l- there's a higher, whatever, level of responsibility placed on you because that's a job you have. But where does the conversation about what the person does fall into this? Is it, can it ever be discussed? Is it ever yeah, part of it? No, no, I, I think it, it should be part of it. And I, frankly, I think it is part of it in the context that this is, when we talk about, um, you know, black and brown parents having to have the talk mm-hmm. with their kids. Yeah. That's exactly what that is. Sure. Is the talk is about telling your, your kids that no matter what situation is, you have to act in a different manner that someone that doesn't look that is much lighter skin than you can act in a different way that you just can't. Mm-hmm. When you get pulled over, how are you supposed to act? When you're being, you know, questioned by a police officer, what are you supposed to say or not say? To not give anyone ever an excuse, regardless of what color that police officer may or may not be, right? So, I, I think that's part of the role. Now, the reality is we also know there's plenty of examples people don't do that, where people are escalating and making it literally the situation worse. And that is a factor that I think weighs into the, the broader sentiment of, of so what happened, where I could see to some extent people making the justification as to why it ended up being a struggle between a police officer and, and a person ends up with someone being shot. Well, you can see how you got there, right? right? And, and I think that's mm-hmm. part of the... And to some extent, not that I'm okay with it. Once again, not that I'm okay with that person dying at the end of the day, but you can see if that was the, if, if the, if the argu- argument was really all based around that, but people were still being tried and still going through that process. And in that process, said, listen, there was these, these other factors that weighed into the situation that escalated things that also made it that the police officer couldn't use the type of restraint that they normally would use yeah. because then they were in a I, life or death situation. I get that. I can't. I hate to use the word, but I could live with that. I could be, I could be okay with that being a potential outcome. You're knowing almost that, like if we go through, what I'm saying? if we go through the steps and we end up that this is where we net out, that's one thing. But if we don't even get into the front door that's on the a, situation, and I feel like that happens way too often. I think that's the part that is. I understand that. That is uh, that is hard. I think for the community to actually you know feel supportive of of their police, who many times the expectation is there's actually fear of them, not not that they see them as a welcome sight. Yeah. My um, I have a l- little bit of a personal story to share on this is that my my wife, as you know, Jesus, but maybe n- not all of our listeners do, um, had a you know very difficult past, um, and she you know she had a very traumatic upbringing. She was homeless for a number of years, and she li- you know when she lived on the street, she ran with a group of you know kind of like runaways that were all you know probably between sixteen and mid twenties, and when we started talking about the police in general as it relates to this case, there was one moment where she kind of started reflecting on this because I was making the case of like, yeah, but it just sucks that everybody ends up hating all the, you know, we, we throw all the, all, all of the cops get thrown into this one bucket. And I just know that that's not true. And I really, you know, I feel for the Floyd family. I feel for everybody involved. And I also feel for people who happen to be police officers, right? Sure. Cause I know a number of them. And my wife like kind of reflected and, and, and sat, you know, sat quietly for a second. It was, and at some point she started to cry. 
And I was like, why are you crying? And she was remembering some things that she hadn't remembered in a long time about run-ins with, this is in Fort Lauderdale, run-ins with police officers that were like super violent, super like kind of on into some bizarre sexual things. I mean, like just a lot of bad apples that were out there doing some really bad stuff, right? And so the idea that, and, and by the way, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that that applies to every cop, nor am I saying that um, it's an isolated incident. What I guess I'm saying is that something about the profession itself, like it's such a high pressure, like, you know, weapons, oh, constant sure. conflict, everything is adrenaline, everything is cortisol, like that's got to do something to people. Like it just has to, like, I guess what I'm saying is that maybe the solution is about changing the, 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 the way that, that policing even is, you know what I yeah. mean? Like it's a maybe cultural problem, like a cultural thing. It's a cultural problem. And is there and everything isn't the training? You just spoke about the training, right? When you think about that orientation, that is, that is, Really, really over-index around the violent solutions to problems, right? Rather than the non. Make sure you don't get your gun taken. Make sure whatever it is, yeah. you know what I mean. And not to once again, not to negate the fact that they that they are placed, and a lot of times can be placed in really dangerous situation where that really needs to be able to, to be there. Yeah, but it's it's almost like a military view of the world applied to people that are meant to be interacting with, like with community. Mm-hmm. Which is, and, I, and, I, and you know, the, the part where I find that there is a disconnect with people's ex- view of it, going back to your caricatures of, of the, the two arguments, is that I think for a lot of people who have never experienced this, who have never been on the wrong side of feeling like they're being targeted, like they're being harassed, mm-hmm. is that they do view police officers in the, in the best version of them, which is this is who we call when we need help. They're here to help us to be our aid. There is no need to fear. There is no need to ever feel like I have to like act differently or do anything differently. And there's that view. And then there's the other folks and the other side of it who also have a very broad view of them. But it's the, it's the opposite, which is like I have to worry about walking the streets, whether I'm going to get robbed by a guy who's like out there to commit crime or I'm going to get harassed by a, by a police that's going out here to seize me. The same way they see every single yeah, person. Yeah, I got nowhere gonna, to go. And and there is a completely different expectation of what that of of what you know a view of the of that same group of people, but I think I do think that going back to 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 what you just you were just saying is that I think the way you start to, ch- to turn that culture and that chip is by actually being much more reflective as a police you know culture of what happens inside of actually bringing to light those bad apples and dealing with them. Because I think the issue is not that there isn't not that everyone is bad. Even it's that did, when you when, yeah. when you protect them. And your intention is protect them first and foremost, and don't ever like bring them really accountable. Then but you, it makes them all look like they're all bad. You and I have written and executed on a number of JDs in our professional life, right? Job descriptions for something, and there there comes a time when you when you look at it and go, even if you deal with every bad apple, though, what if the job description is just screwed up? Like it's yeah. not the right JD. Like, what if it's not the kind of, like, it's a job that creates in a certain portion of people this, like, inability to process this high-stress stuff all day. It's like PTSD kind of thing. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm sure what if that. that's yeah. built into it? That's what I wonder about. Yeah, I think that's, you know, you you may not be wrong about that. And it's, it's unfortunate, but it may be the reality of what the situation actually is, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think there is a lot of, training support that needs to be 
there's an investment that needs to be made, frankly, to some extent, you know, to, to an extent around what police officers are expected to do. Yeah. What their job should be, that they are meant to handle every single type of problem. With That's the, also exactly With the right. same kind of approach, right? It's like, yep. you know, we, there's a saying, you know, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. Well, you're literally training these guys to be hammers. So everything, they're going to treat it the way a hammer would treat it. Well, and there's only one, there's only one, it's a one size fits all too. It's like my neighbor, my neighbor's loud, call the cops. Somebody set my house on fire, call the cops. Right. There's somebody, you know, my kid hasn't shown up from soccer practice, call the cops. Like, you know. Right. And those are all very different problems. Very different problems. Yeah. So I think that is part of it. You know, this is why in, I know we're not really talking about this whole, what happened over the summer, which is like the whole, the fund, the police, you know, movement, but just like in many times, man, and part of it, that movement struggled uh, because of bad marketing, bad branding. Super um, bad branding. And I think the, the but the idea that I liked about what they were, they were talking about, like if there is a focus of like, maybe we should be thinking about the police department differently in terms of being maybe to some extent more specialized about being able to handle certain types of cases, certain types of issues that don't all require the same blunt force instrument that we've been used to applying that is not a bad way to think about it, right? Well, it's there's definitely a, a much more nuanced approach of how to do it. It'd be cool to do a hackathon on this in some way because it may not be about right now the way that the police department works is a hierarchical set of, of promotions. Um, yeah. You know, like you start off as a private. It's like a military thing. Private, sergeant, whatever, whatever. You may captain and all that yeah. stuff. But that assumes that you're all the same kind of thing but in different levels of seniority. Maybe the different way to think about it would be almost like – you know, I, I don't know, like farm team, pro team. I don't know what it is, but to break it up in a different way where your kid doesn't show up from soccer practice, like you don't call the, sure. you know, the captain or whatever the version is, but you go to this other group that comes and helps deal with that situation. Now, the downside of that is that can become a bit of a joke in and of itself if not, if not, done, if not executed well, right? Where you're in a situation where you actually require somebody to come and take authority of the situation that's happening because you got people that are in conflict, maybe somebody's in danger and like a social worker shows up, dude, that's just not going to turn out okay. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. like- And I think that's the fear that people have or that's maybe the, the biggest argument that people can make against that idea. Is, is yeah. Yeah, it's exactly that. That someone shows up- <laughs> Ill-equipped. <laughs> Ill-equipped and all of a sudden they're in a like very heated situation. They're not they're not prepared to be able to handle it. Yeah. But I think right now the, the, the problem with, with the current approach is the orientation is so much to the to the fore side that I think it, it creates this really bad dynamic with the community. Yeah. And ultimately that's what I think um, the emphasis or the bias should be is on somebody who's there to protect the community, right? To yeah. bring the community together, to be an agent of unity, like all of that kind of stuff and not just be an enforcer. And I think that's the way that, that police officers have been cast. And I think, frankly, maybe a lot of them wouldn't yeah. ideally define themselves that way as enforcer, you know what I mean? But I, so, I, look, there's a lot there to talk about um, and we kind of have to move move on here, but... Look, I, I will yeah. say, look, my final thoughts on the, on this is that I, I do think it sends the right message, um, I hope a strong enough message on both sides. I think to the community to say, hey, even though the history is not there to show that there's been accountability, uh, maybe this is a step forward in the right direction, right? And that we're willing to look at our own. I think having the police captain be one of the people that were, um, you know, that, that, was, that, was, that testified. And what he said, I think, is really important in trying to rebuild some of that trust. I think that's one. And I think on the second side, for, for, second side for police officers, look, for the ones that are doing bad things and bad shit, it's like, hey, you are going to be held accountable. 
But for the ones that are doing the right thing and the, and the good thing, I'd be able to point to this and say, like, hey, we're not all like that. And B, when it happens, we're also willing to step up and do the right thing by turning these people in that are that are basically making us all of our making all of our job uh, you know harder and worse by their behavior. And that's where I really hope that uh, President Biden, you know, because it's easy to call George Floyd's family and get a you know photo op and say how how great that you know how how happy we are for you. But it's harder to call like, you know, the police, whatever, sergeant who's like sure. saying, listen, I, I appreciate the job you're doing. I know you're one of the good apples. Thank you. Like, and so I think he's got an opportunity to lead on that front as well. And that that's how you draw unity. That's how you create unity in my mind. Right, right, right. Yeah, I agree with you. So um, shall we leave that subject where it is? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of this. And there's more to come. And God willing, more. it's not going to be, you know, yeah. things will calm down because there's still a lot of people on the streets as we make this video, as we make this podcast right now. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. but um, anyway, let's, uh, let's move on then to courage or cringe. Actually, the first uh, item is related in somewhat tangentially. It's, yeah, to it's this very situation. related. Um, yeah, so courage or cringe, let's, 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 let's get into this. Um, and I know very, the first section is very somber, so this will get pretty light pretty quick. <laughs> but, but let's start with wait Facebook. about five minutes. Yeah, yeah wait about five very, minutes. Very so uh, Facebook, you know, in preparation for the Chauvin uh, verdict, you know, said to be limiting posts that might incite violence, right? So as reported by the New York Times, uh, Facebook on Monday said that it planned to limit posts that contain misinformation and hate speech related to the trial of Derek Chauvin. Um and this is, uh, uh, you know, to keep them from spilling over into real world, real world, world harm, mm-hmm. right? So, according to Monica Bickard, uh, Facebook VP of Content Policy, she said, uh, and I quote: "We know this trial has been painful for many people. We want to strike the right balance between allowing people to speak about the trial and what the verdict means, while still doing our part to protect everyone's safety." Uh, you know, say Facebook, which positioned itself as as a cipher free speech, has become, of course, increasingly proactive in policing content, especially those that you know may lead to, or at least according to them, may lead to real world, you know, real world violence. Um, they they were criticized for for uh, how they handle sensitive information uh, by both the 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 right and the left, uh, including misinformation that was shared on the side that led to the President Trump supporters uh, attacking the Capitol on January sixth, mm-hmm. right? Now, the company also took steps to find misinformation on an election meddling from foreign governments, right? It displayed warnings on more than 150 million posts with election misinformation. It removed another 120,000 posts from violating its voter interference policies and took down 30 networks that posted false messages about the election, right? So they, this is, they've been ramping it up since last year. Uh, the company, now currently the company's independent over, over, oversight board which you what you call it about Mount Olympus or Olymp- the Olympians? The Olympians is now debating whether or not Trump will be allowed back on the platform and plans to give a decision in the coming weeks. So we could talk about that when that when that happens. And then lastly, uh, Facebook said it will remove pages, groups, events, and Instagram accounts that violated its violence and incitement policy, take down attacks against Mr. Chauvin and Mr. Floyd, and label misinformation and graphic content as sensitive. Yeah. Although the the takedown account uh, attacks against Mr. Chauvin and Mr. Floyd are not by the same measure, because they, if you dig deeper, they definitely f- view those figures very differently, right? So Derek Chauvin is, in their reckoning, a public figure, who, according to them, voluntarily placed himself in the public eye, which means that they will remove attacks that are severe. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't see that part. And that's the reason why I got a cringe on this. Well, that and the fact that like I can't give Facebook a courage on anything. Oh, come on. So, Once in a while, <laughs> give, give them a little courage. Um, um, I mean, look, 
at the end of the day, it's the same conversation with Facebook, right? They're a private company. Do whatever you want. Like you right. can. I've got no problem with that. But they're this like hybrid, which is so influential in all these different things. Right. And um, the part that I don't like is just the the designation of different people. Like some people are okay to be attacked and other people are not in a way or to the same degree. That just doesn't sit right with me. I even looked at the legal definition of what a public figure is. A public figure is a select, this is like for suing somebody in court, uh-huh. celebrity, politician, high ranking or powerful government officials and others with power in society, right? Like I'm thinking, is that, I guess you could say powerful government official, but like a beat cop? Like, I I don't think that's what they meant, right? And so this, like, putting people in different, like, you're worthy of being torn apart and you're not, uh, that just doesn't sit well with me. Just That's a really interesting definition, by the way. I never heard that before because public figure to me is uh, has nothing to do with how much power that person has. It's basically how... Well, it's recognizable they actually celebrities, are. Celebrities, right? politicians, high-ranking and powerful government officials. Celebrities have no power. They're just popular, right? So, um, Yeah, my point is you could be very popular and not be a celebrity. How's that? How's that right? Work? You could be very popular as someone that is a published author or someone that is— Well, I think that's probably Celeste. Stephen King is a celebrity. He's a published author. Yeah, yeah I guess, right? But I, I guess I, I think of celebrity, maybe I'm thinking too, too narrowly as mm-hmm. people that are in film and television, people like, like that, where they perform, right? Yeah. As opposed to someone that is— I Put it this way. If they had said— saying, like, If they had seems- said that—if they had said the Chauvin family or whatever— we don't want people attacking them, tearing them down to the same degree. But when you dig beneath the surface, you actually have to click on the link of what they published on Facebook. If you look Got at it. the actual link, then it says, we consider it differently because he put himself in that situation, which itself is debatable. And here I am defending Derek show. Like, I don't want to be in this situation. It's not a popular, this is not a popular place to be, don't do but it, at the Eric. same time, I know, but at the same time, it's like, <laughs> yeah, what's your you know, no, but I, you know, you know, you know me, I, I uh, subscribe to a higher power and it's like, these are, you know, we're all people. And it's like, yeah. and I, I, uh, I don't like, I, I just don't like it. I don't like the idea of like these people, we will just take down the severe stuff. Like if you, if you call, if you want to like, you know, I don't know, draw and quarter them, we'll take it down. But like, say that you wish they were dead. That's okay. Like, I just, I just, that just makes me feel bad. I, 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 right, so I don't, right. that's I, I the one that. reason. That's the one reason. Yeah. I, I think if I, if so I use that, that lens, I could probably agree with you. I mean, the, the part where I sort of focus on this conversation is I do think that there is real, real world implications to what gets shared on social media. Mm-hmm. And to the degree that something is directly inciting violence, it does concern me that if there isn't something being done to try to protect the average consumer from that, from that, from inciting additional violence, right? So in the spirit of it, I understand, and I, by the way, and I also understand how complex and complicated it is to even be in a position to make that kind of call. Because to some extent, the easiest thing to do from a policy step would just not make the call, be like, I'm a platform. And but that's the thing. Figure it out. They're right? playing like, both sides of the fence. Out, they but, should make an editorial decision to not share these comments. I'd be a thousand percent with them. But they're saying they're not editors. Right. So, so it's like, you So, know. yeah. So from that perspective, I feel like Facebook, even though they get viewed very much as a platform, still has the editorial uh, responsibility to bear some weight in making sure that it's creating a safe environment and that it's not doing something to uh, propagate additional violence, especially in a very heated situation. Mm-hmm. So that's why I like I, I hate to say courage on Facebook because I also have so many issues with Facebook that I hate to call it that. 
Uh, but that's probably the reason why I'm a little more on the courage side than courage on, on this topic. Although I was very happy to hear about them uh, starting to do the whole podcast platform on Facebook this week. Yes, so, so who knows? More we'll to come be, on that. Yeah, we may we'll, like we'll, Facebook we'll after love all. Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, all okay. right, so that's um, so, so I'm cringe so or we're, courage. So we're split on this one. All, all right. right, Demi Lovato feeling triggered. Uh, this was kind of a fun, fun topic. Um, <laughs> Apparently, not fun for her. But fun. We'll see. <laughs> Depends on where you stand on this. I mean, yeah. that was fun. But a li- lighter topic, I would say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, as Huffington Post reported, Demi Lovato started a social media war with a beloved frozen yogurt shop, The Big Chill, in Los Angeles you over been the there? weekend. No, I have never where been is, there. Where is it? No idea. Yeah. At this point. I hate to say it, but I don't want to know. Like, yeah. uh, So she was slamming the store on her IG page for carrying sugar-free options. Can I tell you that I had no idea what the hell this was about when I first read it? I was like, what are we, what, what, This is what like, by the way, this, this has to be like the most LA story that we've ever done in this show. It is. And it's also it's like, another example. It's like the whole, what was it? The NFT, what was the thing we did with the NFTs? NFTs? The NFTs. NFTs where I felt like, I told you, I was yeah, like, yeah. I felt old. This is yeah. another one. It's like, what, sugar-free is bad? Like, what? Like what well, is that? It's just by the way, to to be clear, we, we I feel a little guilty talking about this in this episode because mm. here we are just talking about police reform, social change, like That's these are like really heavy topics, I and know. then we're talking about frozen yogurt. That's the magic of the show. Demi Lovato being upset uh, that they triggered her, right? So so she by the way, so just continue. So she said that Lovato said seeing the products was triggering and awful for her mm. as she is recovering from an eating disorder, right? So she said, and I quote, um, finding it extremely hard to order Froyo from, by the way, do you know what Froyo means? Frozen yogurt. Uh, just, making sure, just, just double checking out. From the Big Chill official, which is the handle of, mm-hmm. of this, the shop, uh, when you have to walk past tons of sugar-free cookies, other diet foods before you get to the counter. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Do wait. better, please. Wait, stop for a second. Okay, yes. this is the part where I had a total cognitive dissonance. I'm finding it hard to, to order Frozen yogurt, which is milk and sugar. Correct. Because I have to walk by tons of sugar-free things. Correct. Okay. So. Correct. All right. You're going to have to walk me through the logic. But the nearest that I can understand was sugar-free stuff in her mind is saying, eat all you want. Right? No. And that's no, why I'm no. against it. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. So, so yeah. Okay. Then it's, 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 it's not, then it's not it's the case. even less logical than I thought. Go ahead. So she included, I think this will help start to unpack it, right? She included a hashtag called diet culture vultures. Okay. Yeah. Diet culture vultures. What she said is, will she be using to call out harmful messaging from brands or companies that perpetuate a society that not only enables, but praises disorder, disordered eating? Right. Okay, but that's my point. So sugar-free is disordered eating because it's sugar-free, so I could eat as much as I want. Uh, is that so? Uh, you know what? Is I, that I, her? I, no? I don't. I don't think that's what she means. I mean, by I still that. don't understand yeah, what yeah. that has to do. You're I on your way to eat a decadent dessert, and you're you're saying there's a problem, right? With eating, you know, because I guess too much of something. I, maybe. I, th- I think. In, I think what she's speaking to now. I'm trying to unpack what, like her view of, of seeing the situation is that. By seeing so many of these sugar-free cookies and other diet, seeing all these diet foods as mm-hmm. she's about to go have a comfort food, that even in a place for comfort food, there is this diet culture that is being like, that she's being hit over the head. Reminding, it's like reminding you, you're fat, you're fat. Eat like, even in the context where you're trying to eat something that is a comfort food. Oh man, food. you're going way deep. You're I, going, really, I really do think that's actually like, where she's, where she's coming like from. You're going art level on yeah, this. I, I, this I, is, I mean, once again, this is my interpretation of, of what her, what, what was the triggering part of it. It's not that that's going to get you to eat more. It's simply like even in the context of coming into a 
place to eat comfort food that we all recognize. If we want to have frozen yogurt, I'm not going to go have a salad. Like those are not equatable. But even here, where it's about comfort food, still diet culture is so prevalent that I, I can't get past all of these mm. things that I have to like constantly be aware, like guilt me into eating, like being more on a diet, even when you're in this but comfort if, but, food place. But the context is someone who's got an eating disorder. That's the context, yeah, right? Yeah, and so, I think for her, like the triggering part is like her eating disorder. Her eating disorder is not eating too much; is 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 starving herself to try to lose weight. So that's why I think the the the, the question for her, why 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 I think I may be right on this, is that you probably her, are. her eating disorder has been one that you know she was bullied as a kid. I mean, mm-hmm. I actually heard her on Joe Rogan, and it's, it's it's sad. It's so sad when I think about my. You know, she was being bullied. I think she was like, like a, 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 she may have been like maybe 11 or 12 when she talked about the story where she was like being called fat and all that. That's terrible yeah. for a little girl at that yeah, age of course. to be bullied that way, right? So she she basically got this massive eating disorder where she would yeah. starve herself because she just hated the way her own body looked. So what she's talking about here is things that trigger her to want to basically starve herself again. And I think what she's making the, the point is that when she sees these health foods by, you know, I put in air quotes, those are all triggering foods for her to like be more conscious of like not of starving herself again, basically. Mm. I think I think that's I think that's where the trigger comes in. Okay. Not that she's then gonna my, overeat because her orientation on eating disorder it, is to not, eat less, not eat more. But I didn't even see it about something she would do, but that she had an objection to the way that this diet food culture exists, which is this idea of like, hey, it's got no sugar. Well, eat yeah. as much as you want. And it's all BS because it's garbage food, right? So like maybe I thought that was more her yeah, point. Yeah, no, I think I think it's I, I really do think that's where is coming from right now by the way in all her comments um the big chill they pushed back on the the shop they pushed back on lovato and it said that they they carries products for customers who have diabetes and celiac disease options for vegans and many indulgent items right and they said look we're not diet vultures we cater to all of our customers needs for the past 36 years we sorry if you found this uh offensive right um now, for course, probably not in that tone of voice, but I'll give you. Uh, it was you, you read a, it very know, nicely. Uh, you know, that's the way. That I'm sure I there was a little it. snark, but then then and, Demi Lovato came back on she top of that. Double down, right? Yeah, and and really, her thing was about making the environment more inviting for all people and being clearer on messaging, distinguishing between diet culture and health needs. So I think in her mind is like, if you're gonna put something that is that is sugar free or that is um, you know diet foods. Label them as more for health needs rather than as part of diet culture, which is why I think I'm right in, in what I was telling you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, in the in the statement, the shop said that for the past 36 years, our small women-owned business has catered to anyone. <laughs> yeah. Love that. That's yeah, smart. To little, anyone mm-hmm. who's come through the door, whether they are diabetic, vegan, gluten-free, or just wanting a de- decadent dessert. We've always tried to have something for everyone, right? And, of course, she got a lot of pushback, right, And in her commentary. And, and by other people, they were all like, a lot of yeah. people were like came really came after Demi right on this, and she sort of apologized mostly for disappointing people, which yeah. I love that. It's like yeah. I'm sorry for disappointing you. Not that I'm sorry for what I said or what right. I did. It's that disappointing people. Sorry you didn't understand because yeah, you know, how and right actually I am. offered to work with the shop to adjust the, its messaging. Yeah, um, and she said, and I quote, "I'm sorry. I'm so sorry if I got misconstrued. Uh, I don't always get this right. I speak my mind. I'm opinionated, and sometimes I get labeled as problematic." Everything I'm doing is well intentioned. Mm. So, your turn. I mean, there's not that much to unpack on this. There's like, uh, look, I think Demi Lovato. She's obviously has struggled with some demons internally, sure, and I feel for course. her because, of course, and hearing her in my context with her, and I actually don't know that much about her, but I do just from having heard her speak, and and I heard her um, once again on Joe Rogan a few weeks ago, I guess when it was. 
And it's, it's sad. I think as a dad of a daughter, it's sad to hear little girls dealing with like bullshit like this, mm-hmm. where they're being, you know, bullied and being made feel like they're not, you know, wonderful people or that something's wrong with them. And obviously that stuff has super lasting effects. It absolutely does. And that's the, 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 the really sad thing about the situation, you know, for her to be feeling triggered and awful. And the, look, I'm not even questioning the fact that it did trigger her. But if it did, it kind of speaks to how much this has messed her up. And that's what I think is so sad about this about this this situation. Now, do I think she handled it? Well, of course not. I think she handled it terribly. And going after this, especially in this moment, as these small shops are literally trying to come back from COVID, being shut down, and in California, how stuff has been, to get called out by that and, and be— And not just by anybody, but yeah, by somebody by with like hundreds of thousands like, of— yeah. All I'm saying is like if you ha- like if she had that kind of concern, like when I talked to the shop about it, I said, hey, listen, like— just so you know, this is how I felt about this. Like, you know, maybe you've never heard this before. For someone like me who has struggled with this, like, I think that would have been a good move, A, to, for she's acknowledging her own feelings, of but course. sharing them with them in a manner that is constructive. But when you then turn around and put this all on social media and blast these people on something that, frankly, is issues that she's dealing with, I just think it's, it's super crappy. And, um, you know, I give a lot of credit to these guys. They did not back down. They made a position. And I also like the fact that they said, like, listen, hey, just I know you're, you know, we're not even questioning your your feelings, but just know there's other people that this is like, we need to have options, people that actually it's need not this, just that are about diabetic. You. Like if you're diabetic, you could only have the sugar-free option. Like that is for them. Maybe not for you. Okay, that's fine. We're not forcing anyone to have this. Like, yeah. so I really like the, like the position. And of course, like in you know, they they she got a lot of pushback for, for you know as a result of it. So I just think, look, the whole call out was was terrible. How she went about it was terrible. I I I do feel bad for her though, because I think this is a, a young woman that unfortunately has I think a lot of challenges and issues that she's still dealing with. Maybe a lot of these are reminiscent from her as as a youth and what she went through. And and I hope she finds you know some peace in, in herself that doesn't she don't find herself putting herself in this, this kind of situation and, and stuff that doesn't actually use triggered her. Amen to that. So will you are a drum roll? Oh, I'm cringe. I'm totally cringe. Cringe. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we agree hundred yeah. uh, percent. For me, it's um, some high level um, principles came to mind when I thought about this. Number one is praise publicly, criticize privately. That was one, right? To your point, you could have just, you know, texted or called or emailed or whatever and just said, hey, listen, this is really bad for me. It triggers me. I'm not sure what that would have led to, but it at least would have been a first step. And then if there's no resolution, maybe then share it. I also thought about the idea of the damage that a bad review can do versus a good review, right? I think something statistically- It's so hard to shake that off. It's crazy. I think there's actually math on it that like people are more, it's like a six to one the likelihood of sharing a bad experience than a good one. So like, you know, it, it creates this kind of like snowball. Um, but I, I was also the last part, cause I, I already said I'm cringe. The last part that I thought about was, and I'm not taking away anything of what you said in the beginning in terms of a lot of the things that she dealt with, you know, people, and look, we're complex people. People have issues and they have backgrounds and all that's what it is, but we're also have to be held accountable for the, for the decisions that we, that we make. And the thing that I was thinking about ironically in this was one of my favorite philosophers from Boston College, Dr. Peter Kraft. Shout out to Dr. Kraft, like super genius, this guy. He wrote a book called uh, If Einstein Was a Surfer. He's written a lot of stuff, but that it's one in great particular. Great title. Yeah, that's really great. I'll read it just on the title. But I had an opportunity to meet him once. Uh-huh. And like, you know me, he's like, 
we've had the opportunity to meet and and talk to celebrities and stuff as part of the work right. that we do. And like it's it's never been like a huge thing for me, but like this guy, I was his total fanboy, you know, because I've read his books and I was like, and I was sitting next to him next to this conference. I'm telling you, so cool, Dr. Kraft, amazing. Yeah, but um. In this conference, somebody asked him what the impact was of mobile devices and social media to the to global culture. You know what his answer was? What? Nuclear weapons. It was literally what he said. He said that there are nuclear weapons to the idea of human connectivity, thriving, community, et cetera. He's like, they're the most destructive thing that we've introduced in the entire like history of the world. And it it really stuck with me because I was definitely thinking about that when I read about this. It's like, you know. This, your challenges are all true, but the way that you're choosing to deal with them are essentially by really destroying other people. You know what I mean? And in this way that you really can through this big platform that you have and everything else, it's just so unhealthy, so yeah, unhealthy. It and is. it's like, it, it makes is. it worse. You know, like I feel worse for her now than I did even before, right? I feel, so, so, I feel sorry for her. I do right? too, yeah, but I'm saying that's... I don't feel, I feel more sorry for her now, not yeah. less sorry for her, right? Yeah, so, yeah, and yeah. anyway, I'm a cringe. On uh, on Demi, yeah, and I yeah, I just she's gonna handle it so much better, and it's it's just yeah, it's a it's a it's a, I mean it's easy to make fun of it, it's easy to make fun of her, frankly, for how this is yeah, done. Yeah, I'm, I'm not doing but that. But the reality is, when you yeah, the <laughs> second you spend you know two seconds thinking about it, it's it's just super sad. It's sad to to like understand that this is you know I'm sure something that she's dealing with. And by the way, this is probably not the first time that she gets triggered or things like this. I'm sure. And when you're dealing with the with that kind of baggage that you're carrying <clears throat> with you all the time, I mean it has to be extremely hard. It's just like I just hope this experience for Demi Lovato is, you know, she takes this and actually finds a way to create positive change with her, with what she can do. And I would actually say Orient that positive change at a personal level, not on social platforms. You'll be so much better by doing that. That maybe like it actually would help you with personal connections and and that impact that she would have had talking to the owner, and even giving her perspective. Forget the owner. Anyone that works at the shop, they were like, "That was so interesting." Like. She, you know, I had this moment with Demi Lovato, which like that could have still got out on social media. It would have. That's the thing. And, and, is and ironically, it would have been in a way that's super authentic, super authentic because and she's real. Not, it's like look in a very different example. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. Shaq uh, was in the news like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, right? So he was at um, at this jewelry shop. I think it's Zales. Is that one of the jewelry places? Uh, I think yeah. it's one of the ones in malls, right? Like Zales. Is jewelry, okay, yeah, one yeah, of those, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently, he was. The story <laughs> was that. You know, he came out, he was like, he was trying to get some new earrings or something like that, right? He was getting some new jewelry. And he has his own, apparently his own jewelry line and, and sales because of course he does, right? And he was in there and it was a guy that came in who was looking to do a payment on a ring, I think is what it was. Because he had basically bought it on layaway. So he came in to do to a payment, was asking what it is. Shaq overheard him saying that. And basically it was like, he just asked the guy, well, how much does he still owe on it? You know, and the, the the salesman told him, like, don't worry, I got it. And the 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 this kid that came in to, you know, to pay his ring was like, he didn't want to take it. He's like, no, no, please. Like, no. Yeah, like, very humble guy. Very humble guy that I wanted. And Shaq was like, don't worry about it. I do this all the time. Like, don't worry about it. Shaq didn't post on this. Didn't, didn't talk about it. It got picked up by somebody else, shared the story. And so much more powerful and, as a result of And when of Shaq that. talked about it, it was like, when he was like, he was on uh, on uh, NBA Tonight or whatever it's called, the... Um, uh, TNT, what is it called? The the show that he does with Shaq and and uh, and Chuck and all those guys, right? The one um, Shaq and a fool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What a, that that show, right? Um, you know, he talked about it. He's like, look, he didn't mean for it to get out. 
this is part of, this is just what he does. He tries to do something positive when he can, right? He has the means to do it. And it wasn't, you know, he didn't want to even talk about what the price was. Like, it doesn't matter. You know, for him, it, was, it wasn't as big of a deal. So he just told the guy, don't worry about it. Like, you, you know, go and, and enjoy yourself. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, for Shaq and, and a very accomplished guy who has a lot of wealth and has done, like, really well in his life. By the way, the guy who was doing it was like, this white dude. That, you know, it wasn't even like, oh, it, like, because he's black, I'm going to do that. It was like just doing something nice for someone. And that, I'm sure, makes him feel great. And I think for Demi in this situation, I think of it like sort of the contrast in, the, in how this was handled. And it could have been, I think, a very positive moment if you just oriented on, on that, creating that individual impact and, and making that individual connection. Agree. Okay. Stephen A. Round, Stephen rapid A. fire. Let's, last let's, five minutes. Let's wrap it up. Uh, Stephen A. Smith. So this is a fun one. Um, so over the weekend, you know, we took maybe one step forward and and, and more than likely a thousand <clears throat> steps backwards in the boxing world uh, as we had another celebrity boxing extravaganza, right? That included Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, Justin Bieber, Ric Flair, Pete Davidson, to name a few. And a 40-second boxing match. And, of match. course, the main attraction, YouTube self-proclaimed bad boy Jake Paul and retired UFC fighter Ben Askren. Right? Now, to recap, Jake, uh, love him or hate him, and many people hate him, showed up in shape. And despite his antics, has obviously taken boxing very seriously. For not just a week. I mean, years. Right. Like yeah. He's stalled to his credit. He's been taking yeah. it very serious. Within seconds of the fight starting, basically destroyed Ben Askren. Who's like a real, him out. Who's like a legit fighter. It was like the... <laughs> It was embarrassing for everyone involved. Uh, on the other hand, Ben, who, by the way, has a 19-2 and professional MMA record, but has never been known as to be a puncher. He was an Olympic wrestler, right? So, like, great wrestler, not a puncher at all. Not uh, a boxer. They're different things. Yeah, Fighting and boxing yeah, not are a different puncher, things. Let alone a boxer. That's, that's actually a great point of the differentiation, <clears throat> right? Did not look like he had trained a single day, literally, of his life. Because he right. What did you say earlier? It was like <laughs> brought to you by uh, right. Carl's Jr.? So someone, I was looking on Twitter, and the, the commentary on Twitter was hilarious, right? Someone said, like, Ben looked like he's sponsored by McDonald's or That's something like that, right? McDonald's, yeah. And some other guy was saying, like, look, I didn't, uh, what do you say? Like, I, uh, I, I, I didn't pay for the fight, and I still felt like I got robbed. <laughs> right, like you pirated it, and right, you still exactly. feel like you got robbed, right? So yeah. there was so much of that, right? But there's been obviously a lot of reaction to how seriously, you know, Jake Paul should be taken as a boxer, and is he for real? You know, especially if he, as, since he keeps uh, on fighting non-boxers. And who should he be allowed to fight at this point, right? And into that conversation, here, here comes Stephen A. Smith, who does not lack opinions about things, right? So he, he put out a tweet. He said, look, see, and I quote, see, this has to stop. Jake Paul is not some scrub. He's a pro now. Askren, even though he's a UFC fighter, is a grappler, not a boxer. So why was he even in the damn ring? From now on, Paul needs to fight an actual boxer. He's going to hurt any non-boxer, right? So this, by the way, in part, in reference to the other celebrity fight, that Jake previously had with Nate Robinson, who he also destroyed in a brutal, Actually, brutal Actually, it went longer, knockout. didn't it? Did it, it did go, go longer? longer. It did go longer. It was so bad that Nate was immediately turned into a meme and how he got knocked out. It was just yeah, terrible. That, that dude did not get up fast. So courage or cringe? Um, you know, basically, look, this is kind of a funny topic, obviously, right? So we're doing a little for gist. But, you know, is Stephen A. correct, you know, uh, in terms of his take and how he believes Jake Paul, kind of where he's at in his, uh, in his boxing career and, and who should be, uh, who sh he should be allowed to, f to fight? Yeah, I give, uh, so I'm courage on this one. I agree with Stephen A. I think that was actually my first, I didn't watch the fight. I heard people like next door yelling yeah. when, they were, when they were streaming it or whatever. But then I quickly, actually one of my boys showed me the meme. Like we're like, oh, it's already a meme, you know? 
know, this whole thing lasted 10 seconds. You know what I mean? I was like, what? And then I watched it and um, that's the first thing I thought about. I was like, okay, this guy is now crossed over because he can say, well, I'm a YouTuber. I'm not a professional boxer either. So I'm I'm fighting other people who are an NBA guy, a UFC guy. But no, this guy has legitimately trained on being a boxer. He's gotten pretty good. He should fight a legitimate boxer next and see what we, what's real about it. Um, and I don't know if I agree 100% with Stephen A in terms of like somebody's going to get hurt. Maybe somebody would get hurt. I mean, I don't – if they put him – I mean, they're, they're getting knocked out like viciously. Yeah, and I was surprised it's, in terms of yeah. – although Askren is – I mean, he fought like 160, 170, I think, when he was fighting UFC. And this guy, Jake Paul, is much bigger, right? I mean, He's a he, big kid. Yeah, it's like that's, 200 that's pounds? Part is he 200 the, pounds? That's part of the, the problem right now is that Jake Paul is 6'1". Yeah. Uh, what he weighs, I'm not sure, but he, you know, he has to be a good, you know, 215, I would say, maybe more than that. Yeah. Uh, ben Askren, uh, 5'11", right? It shows his weight at 191 pounds, although, <laughs> I mean, this had, he came in with a pretty, pretty heavy, you know, weight uh, for the fight itself. Um, and that's the other thing too, like Jake Paul keeps on fighting like much smaller people. Yeah, in this case, Ben Askren is at least at least he's getting closer to six feet, right? But uh, Nate Robinson is like five nine, I think. Is what it is what Nate Robinson is? Yeah, I can't find. I'm looking for his uh, for his weight online, but I can't see it. But no, he seems. I mean, like pretty yeah, big. Nate Robinson five nine, right? That was his yeah, first first fight. Yeah. So I mean, but, but finish finish your thought. No, no, I was just saying that I I definitely agree with Stephen A. I think that that this has moved into. This is an exhibitionist kind of a thing. This is right. it, it's it's definitely a big promotion. It's it's got all the uh, you know hype factor and all that stuff. But you know he's he's got to move into a class to actually fight people who have a chance to actually box with him. And that's the thing. Look, Ben Askren and him in a fight, street fight. He probably he probably would have lost that because that's what Ben Askren is. He's yeah, got, but yeah. all fights end up on the ground. That's the bottom line. Yeah, if, if Ben Askren even as bad of shape as he was, and he was in terrible, terrible shape. shape. But that dude hasn't, he would have he, he would have wanted. A, he hasn't a, exactly a, been a chiseled guy even when he was fighting UFC. The guy's always had a little bit of a scrubby kind of look, but nevertheless know, he had a he decent terrible. Charlie. He look, I, no, I he saw it. Terrible. I saw it. But what I'm he saying. He just walked it right from the buffet. Like literally, was at the buffet. But go back and watch his fight with Mazdaval and all those guys. Like he was, he was never some dude that was like a phys- right. a stunning physical specimen. Right, just right, right, not right. his thing. And my point is that um, it's just apples and oranges. And I think yeah. that this guy does need to fight people that are boxers or have some chance of actually. Uh, engaging with him in the sport that he's trying to do, right? right it's like, right, right. what? Because what, what's he going to do next? Is he going to like a frozen yogurt uh, worker? Like, I mean, it's just like there's, there's, yeah. you know, what's the next step? So I, I so I agree with uh, with Stephen. A. I think this one's a courage for him coming out and saying what other people were thinking and maybe just didn't say. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not as courage. I'm still debated whether I put it call it courage or cringe. Look, a, a couple of things here. We'll say mm-hmm. like, first of all. It is not Jake's fault that people keep on trying to think that they can just walk into a boxing ring and box if they're not taking it seriously, right? Um, that's the other people's fault. And I think there is this perception, which I get, and I don't understand that Jake Paul is seen as his YouTuber. Like, what does he have to do? Like, how good could he possibly be? But this guy, to his credit, has been taking it really, really seriously. I think the other thing, too, is not just anyone could do boxing, but that boxing does not like the other fight, like the other types of... It's of, not. Of study so you could be... Frankly, any other kind of UFC fighter, and unless you are known for being like having good hands, right? You guys even like a starting point. It's it's tough to transition to boxing, like because it's just a different different skill altogether. Um, yeah, when Conor McGregor fought um, Conor, yeah, uh, 
oh my gosh, uh, Floyd uh, Mayweather. Yeah, right. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, it was such a lopsided thing, of right? Course. For that, for that reason, like, and and I think to some extent, I see it in part as a result of UFC and MMA fighting has become so popular that people have sort of. I would say to some extent probably look down on boxing as being like not as sophisticated or less tough or less tough like, yeah maybe not, I don't know so, about see, sophisticated see what I'm saying like it, it, I think it gets uh, because it's one style of fighting versus multiple styles of fighting but it itself is very much an art right uh, in a it discipline is. that it people is. who are not and requires strategy for sure and yeah. people that are not doing like they're, they're gonna get hurt and so I, so from that perspective I understand what he what Stephen A is saying yeah. and I agree that Jake Paul can't hurt people now mm-hmm. like he can legitimately hurt someone so if you have another guy just showing Does up saying like box, yeah. I'll take him next you know someone could get really really hurt so from that perspective I guess I get it what I don't think Jake Paul is is a like professional boxer nor I think he should be, and I think it'd be extremely dumb of him to, to actually, fight an actual boxer. Yeah. An actual boxer that is his actual weight class. Because that's the thing too is like he, he loves to pick on these smaller dudes because even if you're not great, you hit one good down. punch on him. Yeah, you're, gonna, you're punching down every time. Yeah, you're downhill the entire time. That's it. Right? So I think if he fights an actual boxer, regardless of what level of professionalism he has, and is of his weight class, I think he could. it will be a, a massive mistake for Jake Paul because he will probably get hurt. And he has no upside. At the same time, I can't really fault the guy for doing having this massive hype machine. Hey, everybody's getting making paid. tons of money on yep. it. Even the and losers, letting, letting people come up and getting like literally knocked out because True. no one's taking as serious as he is. So True. that's why I probably end up more cringe in this comment because I think what he's saying is just no one's gonna do that. Mm. He or Jake shouldn't do that. And I don't think as much as you know he's claiming to bravado being a boxer, he's not. Let's be honest, because that'd be the same thing as anyone. Sure. Walking in now and say like now go play with the big boys. It's like just because you're pretty good at the park, play basketball doesn't mean you could, you could show up in an NBA game and and score on anyone. Like good luck with that, right? Yeah. So I think that's why I, I, I at the end of the day I come I come at at cringe for that reason because I think his comment. While I understand where he's coming from, I just don't think is is realistic in, in any matter whatsoever. Any thought on who should who he should fight next? Um, I mean I, I don't think it will be a boxer, so it will have to be someone that is. Uh, adjacent to boxing I would, I would think I mean I think someone if they don't have any kind of actual real training I, I think it's a problem I mean what would be interesting is have them fight someone that actually has fighting experience but is not a fighter or maybe past or maybe sort of past their prime or something like that but even a past their prime like you put you put uh, uh, Jake Paul with like a Mike Tyson like good luck Jake Paul Mm-hmm. Or or Evander Holyfield or any of these guys that are like much much older, but like that came from that world. Like I think he will get seriously seriously hurt. Yeah, I think that would be a that would be a massive mistake for him to to get in a fight with them. So if you think about other, other celebrities, I, I don't know, I don't know enough of other celebrities that are known to have some like, kind of skill. Yeah, some kind of actual skill uh, to 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 be out there, you know, in a boxing match, especially within boxing specifically. Yeah, and I'm sure there's some like who was a. Um, Mickey Rourke, Rourke Mickey Rourke who, yeah. right, who was a boxer right like before he became an actor yeah but I frankly don't know any other like this day and age folks that are in that in that category I'd have to give it some thought but uh, yeah. we'll see I'm sure there'll be a next one and I think a- athletes will want to like fight it but I, I think beware because and if, and if you're going to do it you better train it's true <laughs> and don't. train a lot like don't just show up here trying to think you're going to dominate him I totally agree with that you know and, and even by the way even a boxer with a lot, lighter weight class I think it'll be it'll be hard for him now, he's big enough. He's a big kid and he's strong. So even someone with skill, you catch someone with skill, still you know you can knock him out. The only guy who I I, I thought of another MMA guy who had actually retired, but uh, uh, Khabib, 
Nurmagomedov or whatever his last name, Nurmagomedov, I think yeah, is what Khabib. it is. Khabib, the guy was like undefeated, whatever. He's yeah, like 160 pounds, but Khabib has nothing to gain with fighting him. Of course, I mean zero. So yeah, besides so money, will be no. You know who will be who will be good? Um, um, who was the guy from the UFC that had like the big mohawk? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, Chuck Liddell. Chuck Liddell. Someone like a Chuck Liddell would that be good. Dude got his butt. Crushed by uh, Tito, what's his face? Tito Ortiz. The last time he, he in the third, he's older, that was, but, but that guy had oh, that dude serious could strike. Hands. That yeah. dude could strike. For but see, but crazy. That, that's not the right kind of balance with someone that is significantly older, mm-hmm. right? That is because yeah, he's forty or something. I think is probably older Chuck, than how that. Old is yeah. Chuck Liddell. I don't know, but yeah. he, has, he has to be yeah, maybe mid forties, maybe older than that. No, he's older than that. Sixty nine. He was born. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so he's fifty. Yeah, yeah. 52. So I think someone like that is probably perfect for him. Or Anderson Silva. There's another good one. Right. No, those guys. So to me, Anderson was still too young. Like he would, he would just destroy Jake Paul. He's 185 pounds. And he can strike too. Yeah. That, yeah. He would destroy Jake Paul. Yeah. Yeah. You have still to get be. someone that is like way over, way over. If you're someone that has actual, like legit uh, striking experience. Right. Um, or someone that doesn't. Conor McGregor, baby. Uh, sure. Sure. That'd be an interesting one. Conor McGregor. How, how tall is McGregor? Like 5'4"? <laughs> no, he's more than that. He's like 5'9". Isn't he? Yeah, he's 5'9". 5'9", 170. So he's the same weight, maybe a little bit lighter, shorter for sure. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. You Another short Robinson. guy. Yeah. Another short guy. Yeah. Might be a little bit different. All right, Jesus, that's that's us. Um, remember to subscribe, folks, and uh, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash the diversity remix. Coming back next week with an all new show. Exciting stuff as always. Any other parting words, Jesus? Uh, no, I, I know we, we ended the show with a very different tone <laughs> than the one we started <laughs> Seriously, it. than where we started it. But I do think, look, today, at the end of the day, it does feel like a very hopeful day. Uh, and, and hopefully is long lasting ho- hopefulness. I agree with that. Uh, but I, but I do think is, is, you know, a step in the right direction of, of accountability and hopefully bridging some of those, um, you know, some of those, those, those tears that have happened with the community and, and how they view policing and, and. Yeah, I'm at least hopeful of that, and and it's 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 good to see this level of justice coming in at this degree and that quickly, right? That it didn't get drawn out, and so that's all positive. Very good. Okay, that's us. See you again next week on TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember first of all to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Network. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.